to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beter, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, one and all, and welcome to another awesome edition of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Rory and I are turning the captain's chair over to our resident co-host, John Parker, and John and his guests today, Ann Sheridan, will be discussing the future of American greyhound breeding. But we, before we get this party started, I have a few things to yammer on about. Registration for the Solvang Gathering in, you got it, Solvang, California is now open and the event will be held January 9th through 12th, 2020. Advanced registration ends December 31st, so hurry, 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 and register. Visit the Solvang Gathering Facebook page for more info. Sandy Paws, Great Fun in the Sun's 2020 dates are March 12th through March 15th, and the event will be held at Villas by the Sea Conference Center on beautiful Jekyll Island in Georgia. It's the ultimate graycation destination. For info and updates, visit their website at sandypaws.org. Kicks set sail on February 8th, 2020 as part of the Royal Caribbean Line's Monsters of Rock Cruise. Woohoo! There will be a whole lot of music going on. And for more info, visit kicksband.com. Heart of America, Greyhound Gathering 2020 in Abilene, Kansas will be held June 18th, 19th, and 20th. And registration opens soon. GMGP will keep you filled in with all the details. Start the new year off right with a photo session at Royce Images Photography in York, Pennsylvania. They offer personalized and custom photography featuring a unique and creative approach to any session. From engagements and weddings to families, children, and newborns, and pets too. You can also arrange your commercial or product sessions and get new professional photos. With Royce Images Photography, you can truly have it all. To schedule an appointment with them, call 717 sorry, 717-887-4860 or visit the Royce Images Photography website or Facebook page. Just a reminder, during this holiday season, please consider making a generous donation to your Greyhound Adoption Group. Remember, It's the least you can do for the folks who found you the best pet in the world. If your adoption group has an upcoming event that you would like the world of GMGP listeners to know about, send us an email with a full 411. And our email is gmgp3, that's the number three, at yahoo.com. Okay, I'm exhausted. I think I'm going to just sit back and enjoy the show. Rory, how about you? Yeah, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Okay, well then you know what? Let's turn it over to John Parker and his guest. John, take it away. Thanks, Kathy and Rory. Appreciate uh, you having us on. Um, uh, I had suggested this as a topic for a show to Rory some time ago uh, because you hear a lot of questions being asked nowadays on the various Greyhound forums on the social media as American racing uh, contract somewhat and the breeding numbers go way down, people begin to wonder, you know, what, where am I going to get my next greyhound? How am I going to 
stay in the greyhound world and, and always have greyhounds as pets and companions. And um, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about that, that if, if the American racing breeders stop breeding, uh, only show greyhounds will be available or only puppy mill backyard breeder greyhounds will be available. And um, that's really not true. There's There's a growing community of hobbyist greyhound breeders who are breeding from racing and coursing bloodlines, and uh, a lot of those folks come from uh, the adoption world. They got their first greyhound through through adoption, and they just become lovers of greyhounds, developed an interest in, uh, in breeding and uh, carrying on certain bloodlines, and, uh, and that's, where, that's where this hobbyist community has started. Our guest, however, uh, got her start in um, uh, her family in racing, Greyhounds. They bred and raced greyhounds for a number of years. And uh, Anne, uh, welcome to the show. And tell us a little Hello. bit about your uh, your background. Well, um, my family did start uh, importing greyhounds from Ireland because um, they had immigrated from Ireland themselves. So in the seventies, they started importing greyhounds and. Um, Back then, it, it was a little different. They kept their own stud dogs or used stud dogs that were close by, and they lived in uh, the Denver area, and at that time, there were, of course, several tracks in Colorado that they were racing on. So um, they uh, basically, back, back then, people had their own, had their own kind of like I believe it will eventually go back to um, instead of spending a lot of money breeding to these big sires that that you do um, through uh, interuterine breedings and stuff. We'll go back to having our own stud dogs the way I do now. But, um, yes, and then, uh, of course, I went my own way when I got a little older and just kept visiting at the racetrack and visiting um, the trainer. He's gone now, Don Knatzer, that was our trainer, and, and playing with the dogs and and then some years later I just I had missed them so much you know I always had one as a pet but I'd I'd missed training them and everything and I got back into the I had gotten back home from the city and was able to keep a few so started breeding a few litters a year and training my them myself and then turning them over to a trainer who was often my cousin out um, in uh, Rhode Island who took them. And then, um, but to be honest, when I came back in as an, an older adult, I realized that the bloom was already off the rose. And only a few years later, the Denver or all the Colorado tracks closed down one after another, just in close succession. And then, so for a few more years, I was able to send my puppies out, but we lost our infrastructure here as the tracks closed down the training tracks started to fall off one by one. And and we weren't able to get the feed we needed um, to raise proper um, racing greyhounds, and we were kind of faced with the reality of um, either getting rid of the greyhounds altogether and not being able to raise puppies anymore or finding a different way to stay with them. And um, I'd been getting so many calls from people just begging me to sell them a puppy that I thought, well, you know, maybe we can just raise a few puppies for people. And um, as the years have gone by now, you know, I've gotten more and more phone calls from people who have been on wait lists for adoption groups for years and 
haven't been able to get a an adopted dog that they had initially had planned on adopting a racer and they just waited and waited and waited and finally gave up and, and ended up with a puppy. So um, I would say I get a phone call like that a couple of times a month. So they are getting harder and harder to get a hold of that way. Yeah, they, uh, you know, so many people uh, basically had the choice between uh, waiting on uh, an adoption group that might have a, uh, a litter of puppies from an oops breeding that happened somewhere or going the show greyhound route. Uh, and those breeders, of course, are few and far between. Uh, and they, they just, they, you know, they really wanted some, something from racing bloodline. So um, it was a difficult, uh, if you really wanted a puppy, uh, then it was a difficult path to follow. Now, however, it's, we're opening things up a little bit, um, uh, one active racing breeder, Bob Crossland, he uh, he still breeds mostly for racing, but he will he will sell a puppy occasionally as a pet, and uh, and he lets that be known. So he's one of uh, several, and there's a couple of others that are talking right now about uh, about getting into the breeding for the the companion and amateur sports uh, market. Um, where are you located? Are you still are you on the family farm there in? in uh, near Denver, Ann? Well, um, we eventually ended up south of Denver um, in Penrose, Colorado. So that's where we are now is in Penrose. We're about 25 miles south of Colorado Springs. And um, are you breeding any active racers at the present time? Uh, not anymore. It just became, it became so difficult to train them. We were going to have to build our own training track and um, realistically, the profits just aren't there in racing anymore to make it worth investing thousands and thousands of dollars in building your own training track. Mm-hmm. When did you actually make the kind of the, the final transition from uh, breeding for active racing to breeding for the, the pet market, for lack of a better term? Oh, it's actually been a... a Probably 10 years. So um, when I want to say the last dog that we had running at Colorado Springs has been, has been passed away about five years. So, and our last one that we had running elsewhere has been gone for, for four or five years also. So it has been probably 10 years. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about um, how you how you went about making the transition and you know letting it be known that you were uh, breeding for companions and amateur sports and so forth. Well, you know it was a little slow at first, and um, basically we just set up a our our website uh, and started advertising on our website when we had litters coming and. Uh, like say it was kind of a slow start. It wasn't something that there are a lot of myths about greyhound puppies that still kind of persist today. I know we both fight against them and on Facebook. Um, there are a lot of people that believe that greyhound puppies are just absolute monsters and they are very difficult to handle. And that the only thing that makes a greyhound as great a dog as it is, is it's racing um, history, and that's just not true. We learned, 
I, you know, and I will admit, at one time, I believed that what made greyhounds the fantastic pets they are was all the professional training that went into them, and um, the the discipline from being a racing dog and living in a racing kennel. But you know, simply said that the greyhounds now that we have that we raise from little puppies are just as fantastic a dog as the ones that came from the track. So. Greyhounds have it in them to be very biddable, very trainable, um, not just trainable as a sight hound, as many people who dealt with other breeds of sight hounds know, sight hounds in general aren't a very biddable type of dog, but I think greyhounds in general, as compared to any dog, are very trainable and, and biddable. And so these puppies that we're raising, they, they're not little monsters that somehow make this 180 flip to be this calm, gentle, wonderful dog. They are wonderful puppies from the very beginning. I mean, they'll chew your shoes up if you leave them out. Any puppy will, but nothing more extreme than that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that that was exact, that mirrors my experience exactly. Um, And and one thing I always try to tell people in these various discussion groups is I, I think the racing breeders do a wonderful job of raising dogs. They're, you know, they don't, they're not bred to be pets, but they turn out to be good pets. And certainly part of that is, is the way they're brought up. But at the same time, I don't think the, the racing breeders have the exclusive franchise, so to speak, on, on being able to breed and raise uh, greyhounds and turn out to be uh, great pets when they're adults. So I, I fight against the land shark. Uh, label myself. I, I don't know which one I, I don't like more: land shark <laughs> as opposed to puppy, as, as labeled on puppies, or uh, couch potatoes with respect to former races. I, as far as uh, I, yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree with you. Both of them, they're just uh, the, they're misnomers. They really are both of them. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I think most of the people that say I would never have a greyhound puppy have never had one, have never or known anybody that had one. They're, I find them to be like puppies of other breeds. They need uh, engagement, enrichment. Uh, they need to be tired every day, and they'll they'll be behaved. And like you say, you leave your shoe out, any, a, breed, a puppy of any breed will will likely uh, exactly. chew it up if you let them do it. So I I think it, it's kind of I see it mirroring the same misconceptions there were about adult former racers as adoptees. You know, back in the late '80s and early '90s, they were high strung. Right. They needed a lot of rod. So, and, and the adoption mm-hmm. did a great job of of debunking that those images. And I think you know now we're beginning to see as more and more get more and more people rear puppies and can weigh in on some of these discussions. That they say, no, that's just not that's not true. You know, it's it's uh, yeah. Uh, they make they might they make nice pets. So I've I've coming over to the idea that it's as much nature, that is to say the, the genetics, as it is nature right. in how they're raised. Any puppy you know, left to its own devices and not taken in hand and disciplined is going to be a hellion at some point. And, um, and so it, it, there's, the rearing is still important. There's no question about that. But you know, most people that have had adult greyhounds and are willing to be mentored by their breeder or uh, people online, uh, they can they could do a fine job of uh, of, of rearing a greyhound puppy. The, the the people that have um, uh, got puppies from us, you know, they they've all raised nice, 
biddable dogs who are just as nice a companion as a, a former racer. So right, let's talk right. a little bit about your uh, your bloodlines and how you developed your breeding program and what you look for in um, in your breeding stock. Well, and now we look at uh, we look at we're you know back in the day, of course, when you're racing, you're looking for fast, intelligent dogs um, with good temperaments so that they they can actually use that talent and their brains don't get in their way because they're you know have you know, some kind of shyness issues or anything. So we, that is what we were looking at back then. And, um, you know, we'd see which bloodlines were nicking well um, and try to emulate that. And, but when, when you're now turning your bloodlines towards uh, more of a companionship, you know, that kind of changes the, the um, dynamic a little bit. Because not every racing dog, if taken at 10 or 12 weeks and handed to a novice, would turn into a good dog. Some racing bloodlines were very, very sharp, very high prey drives. They had um, much higher prey drives than they really needed, I mean, to the point where you had to watch them in the pens from ganging up on a smaller dog and things like that. So, which, when you were raising racing dogs, you didn't really worry about that because you were, you know, they were in professional environments and you could keep them, you know, contained and managed well. But that dog given to somebody who's never um, trained or worked with a puppy or greyhound before could end up to be a disaster in the end. So, those dogs with the super, super high prey drive that we had, we, we, we did not we did not keep them for our breeding program. So, um, or the dogs that tended to be a little um, nervy, you know, they just, everything has to kind of be in place or they're not happy, those kind of dogs. So what we chose for temperament were, you know, the friendlier dogs, the ones, um, some, for me, when I'm training a dog, I like a dog to be very bold and outgoing and um, that can turn into kind of a, an uh, extra exuberant puppy for a little while, but it turns into a really neat dog in the end. So those were the kind of dogs I like to keep. Um, and your females are always going to be not be those that bold very rarely. So some of our females aren't quite as in your face, but... The males that we keep back are always the kind that just really like everybody. We can take them into PetSmart or Tractor Supply, and anybody can walk up and pet them. Those are the kind we like to keep for breeding stock. Um, we also, of course, want to keep, we want to maintain the athletic ability in the Greyhound because that's what makes them such a great dog. So um, we, of course, when we choose for confirmation, it's not based on the same criteria that say a show dog would be kept for confirmation. We like dogs that can run really well and like to chase each other up and down the paddock um, and, and come back in good shape. And, and so basically we're looking for dogs that look like race dogs, run like race dogs, but love people um, the way most of them do. So really for weeding out in our, our breeding program, really just kind of weeding out the more extreme versions on either end of the scale. You still have a strong uh, Irish presence in your bloodlines? 
Yes, we do. Um, because we still have relatives in Ireland and we visit, um, like to visit there, we do bring home um, an Irish dog as often as we can afford to. It's pretty expensive, of course, but, um, I, you know, I do like the temperament of the Irish dogs. They are kind of more, they tend, the ones that we have tend to be bolder and more in your face, you know. I like to walk out in a pen and just have them jumping all over in front of me, around me. I, I want them to be the kind of dogs that when they're, um, when a puppy is four weeks old, and just to that age where they're walking really well and they're starting to see really well, I want that puppy to come to me before it comes to its mother. And I know that sounds strange, but that is one trait about the more the friendlier, more outgoing greyhounds is that once they get to a certain age, you can turn their mama out of the whelping room and let her go play and run with her sisters and stuff for a few minutes. And then when the two of you come back together, even though mom just came in and you would think they would run to her to nurse right away, they come to the people first. And I think that's what grows into being a, just a fantastic um, companion greyhound in the end. Yeah, you still got the uh, you still got Irish in your in the name of your breeding program, right? Tell us about yeah, so, your Yeah, well, and we named our kennel after where our family comes from in Cashel. Ireland, um, in County Tipperary, that's where our, most of our family still lives. A few are a little outside of that, but Ireland is really small, so <laughs> that's still pretty close. <laughs> so that is how we named yes. our kennel was for Cashel. Yeah, and when we were uh, when I went to Ireland in 2009 for the uh, national coursing meeting in Clonmel, uh, our host Charlie Blanning. Uh, took us. Uh, we went on a. We went over to Waterford, and we went by the Rock of Cashel. And so yeah. um, I remember that uh, that that spurred my memory to your the name of your kennel, and and that's always uh, a good memory to seeing the Rock of Cashel there in uh, County Tipperary. I know it's so beautiful. It really is. Yeah, how and Pond Mill is very close bring? too. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. How often do you bring um, new Irish dogs over? Well, the last one we brought was about five years ago. We, do, we have been planning a trip um, over there, but um, kids in school and things like that have kind of <laughs> gotten in the way. But um, my sister and I would like to get, we're hoping to get to Clonmel this March. I don't know if it'll happen, but we're 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 working towards that right now. So, and tell us a little bit about your facility. What uh, what is it in terms of buildings and rooms, and where you whelp and where you rear and and so forth? Tell us a little bit about your your physical plant, so, so to speak. Well, um, we still pretty much um, with the dogs that we're working with, training, handling, breeding, things like that. Um, we still kind of work in a traditional greyhound setting um, as far as greyhounds just, they sleep a lot. So they love to be in crates and four times a day, sometimes I'll wander out like around 10 o'clock at night and they'll get a fifth turnout and um, they, we go out and we turn them out and they run and they play and potty and then they come back in um, and uh, we have a really large 
paddock. It's about five acres, but it's very narrow and long, so they can really get a good long run on it and really have fun chasing each other's. And it's kind of hilly, and and they like that and chase each other around trees and stuff. And so they they really, I think. Uh, we've thought about, because it is labor and turnout's labor intensive. Somebody always has to be here four times a day to turn out. And so it is tough, but my fear is that if we go to more um, uh, generic type of housing that other breeds of dogs use with like a, an inside area, four by six foot or whatever inside stall with a run attached to it and a door they can come in and out. My fear turning to that is that natural laziness, they won't get turned out as much as they like to. And um, greyhounds just, they just, they really like that uh, system, I think, a lot better. I think they, that, that they've been bred and been housed that way for so long that it just really, it's really a better program for them. Um, now our whelping, we do have a separate nursery now. It was part of the rest of the kennel, but I decided to separate it for disease problems and things like that. I just thought it would be better if it was completely separate. So now we have a separate nursery that's got, um, four stalls and those have a run off of each stall because moms and babies do need to come and go as they please. So, Mm -hmm. So really, the Very nursery good. is the only one building that's kind of more the traditional kennel style of a stall with a, a flip door or a doggy door that they can come in and out to a, a run to go to. So Yeah. I hear the squeaky toy in the background. So, Kathy, does that mean we're uh, headed to a break? you got a couple more uh, minutes. We, yeah, we've got a couple more minutes. Um, if you have a quick oh, question for good. Ann, you can pop that in. Yeah, and what's typical uh, weaning age? When do you wean the pups from the moms? I wean at seven weeks usually. Um, sometimes we have a singleton, we let mom and baby stay together, but um, usually we wean at seven weeks. By that time, mama greyhounds have had just about as much as they can take from the babies. So um, <laughs> we wean at seven weeks. We give a puppy shot at six weeks, and then we give another puppy shot at eight weeks, and then they can't go to their new homes till they're 10 weeks old. Oh, okay. We're going to talk a little bit after the break about how one goes about uh, finding a good breeder and what the whole process is like. So, Kathy, I'll turn it to you for the break. All right. Well, everyone, um, as John said, we will be back. Um, listen to a few commercials, sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and more of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. 
on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an ex-racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening. 
listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. And we are back with the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. So we are going to return to our discussion on the future of greyhound breeding with our guest host, John Parker, and the delightful Ann Sheridan to tell us more about greyhound breeding. John? Thanks, Kathy. You know, we've talked now a little bit about uh, Ann's background and her program and facility there in Colorado, and uh, I thought we'd turn turn now to the question of how does one go about getting a greyhound puppy in today's... uh, in today's world, you know, it's, uh, there's certainly fewer litters of racing greyhounds being bred and there'll be fewer oops litters as well. And so, uh, I thought we'd just talk a little bit, kind of have a conversation about how, where do you go if you want to start looking for a greyhound puppy? Um, I suggest it's a, it's a group that we started a few years ago. It's called just simply greyhound puppies on, uh, on Facebook, we've gotten most of the uh, hobby breeders who breed from racing and coursing bloodlines on there, and they will make announcements about when they have a litter and so forth. So I, I suggest that's one of the best places to start. Uh, you know, certainly, and, and some of the adoption groups also are members of, uh, that have oops litter. So they'll put, if they have one, uh, an oops litter, they'll put it out there too. So it's, we try to, we started it as kind of a good clearinghouse of information where people could go to to learn about who has puppies available, to be mentored, to seek advice, and even after you have a puppy, to, to come and ask questions. We kind of, we, we leave it open for anybody, any puppies that are up to 15 months old because there's certainly puppies up until that age sometimes for some of them uh, for, the, for, the, for beyond that. So that's kind of a good recommendation for where to start is uh, is the Greyhound Puppies group on uh, Facebook. Anybody can join. It's also a public group. You can look at it uh, without having to join. And uh, so we, we give that a start. So, um, and and one thing that you, everybody needs to understand, and we, can, we get this question quite frequently. Somebody will post, does anybody have a recommendation for a Greyhound breeder in New York? And it's just not that you really have to cast your your net uh, nationwide because there's just not that many uh, hobbyist greyhound breeders out there. And so you have to look either regionally or really nationwide. So you really have to kind of be prepared to deal with somebody in another state. You have to be prepared to either go get your puppy or, or have it transported to you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in, a, in, in a minute. But, and I thought what we talk about is kind of the typical <clears throat> screening and application process that the, the responsible hobbyist breeders uh, use. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of from first inquiry that you get to, you know, approval and so forth. Tell us what, what your screening process looks like. Well, um, you know, back in the day, I had this extensive, really extensive screening process and what I learned throughout that is that sometimes the ones that look like they're going to be the best 
homes for your puppies turn out to be the worst. And then sometimes the ones that look like you're just like, oh, I don't know. You know, you just got out of college and you're getting your house next month. And oh, dear, you know, those turn out to be the best. So it's really hard just from a basic screening standpoint. Um, Now, I was a law enforcement officer for 17 years. So um, I have pretty good interviewing techniques, I like to think. So basically what my screening technique is, is that I just talk to people and um, I, have a, I have a pretty extensive puppy agreement. Um, it's three pages long. It stipulates um, how the puppy is to be spayed and neutered and when, um, because I don't believe in traditional spay and neuters. So <clears throat> one of the rules is that when you adopt or buy one of our puppies that you agree to have it um, spayed the proper way with ovary sparing spay or vasectomy for the males. Um, We talk about that. We talk about um, that if they should ever not be able to keep the dog, that they have to be able to ship it back to us. It can't be rehomed unless, you know, it was a family member and I talked to the family member and everything's okay. Um, and they're on board and they sound like they're going to be as responsible as the, the original owner, then we'll agree to, to let it go that way. But they certainly can't be, of course, rehomed on Craigslist or something like that. They have to come back. So um, that said, we've had very few over the years um, come back to us. Once in a while we do. And, and in one case, we had to go to quite a lot of um, trouble to go get some down in um, the, well, I think they're in Alabama, the Alabama area. I had to have somebody come and get them and bring them back to us. And they were dumped and they shouldn't have been, but that's kind of a complicated story. So anyway, um, for the most part, I have found that people who are interested in greyhounds are um, above average in responsibility um, as dog owners go. I think it takes so long for people to find one and it takes so it takes so much effort to find, and then they have to ship it. They can't just drive, you know, out to the country outside of town and pick up a, a litter of a puppy out of the barn and take it home. Um, it takes so much effort to get a greyhound puppy that they the people who finally make it to the finish line are are dedicated, and that's why I think we've only had just a very few of them um, end up coming back. Yeah, you know, as we've developed our small breeding program here in Georgia, I found that the the screening process for me is very similar to what we see in greyhound adoption. Um, we don't have a written application. I've been thinking of that I might develop one just to kind of be your your big filter, you know, to screen out the obvious folks that are they're just not set up to have a puppy. Uh, yeah, uh, and and. Uh, but I find that just talking to people, and sometimes I'll get them to ask them to send me a picture of their, if they're not anywhere local, I'll ask them to send me a picture of their their setup. You know, what? What? let me see your backyard, where do you, where will the puppy live, and, and so forth. I, I, it's very individualized, and it's just, like you say, it's kind of um, your gut feeling. You've been in law enforcement. I've been a lawyer. I've learned how to right. <laughs> take people's <laughs> depositions cross-examine them a little bit to understand what, where they're coming from. Um, but I, I really think, like you say, you can't make any hard and fast rules about um, 
about what's going to be a suitable home. I, I think probably maybe the only eliminator for me might be somebody that is in an apartment or uh, has has an unfenced backyard because I, I just don't think you can really rear a puppy without giving it an opportunity to, to run off lead multiple times a day and, and use up some of that energy. Uh, so Well, um, actually, that, that it, you know, you can't, apartments do provide, our, greyhounds are a good apartment type dog. So I have had apartments and um, I myself had three greyhounds in an apartment in downtown Denver. So as, as, puppies. <laughs> but, um, as a puppy, puppy, you might, yeah, point that person towards an older puppy that you have, maybe one yeah, that's closer yeah, to a yeah. year old. So Right. And they you have know, to be another, the kind of person who you know they they will get that dog out several times a day and be working yeah. with it. Sometimes a person in an apartment who's very energetic and will get them out a lot is almost better than a backyard because they're not just getting, you know, thrown out in the backyard and ignored for an, yeah. hours at a time. So that's why yourself. I kind of play it by ear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, um, uh, what percentage of your, just roughly, <laughs> of your inquiries come from people who are, have had greyhounds? Um, I would say uh, probably at least half, maybe three quarters. Uh, most mm-hmm. people have uh, one or two, have adopted one or two greyhounds over the years and sometimes recently lost one um, and have just always kind of wanted to get a greyhound puppy because they hadn't had the chance to get a puppy or like I say, I I have mentioned before that have been waiting on waiting lists and just can't find a dog to adopt. So, yeah. Yeah. That's about the, that's about the percentage we've had in terms of who've had, who've had greyhounds and I, you, you get, you know, various reasons, and they're all good reasons. Typically, I ask people, "Why do you, why do you in particular want a puppy?" And uh, the two probably I get uh, recited back more more often than not is either I've been in greyhounds for eight, ten years, whatever. I want the experience of rearing a puppy. You know, I want to be able to maybe do an amateur sport with it, and I think that raising a puppy. We can kind of bond earlier. I can it, it can learn to do the the things that it needs to do for agility or lure coursing or, or whatever it may be. And uh, right. so I, just, I want that as my, I want that's always been on my bucket list. I want that as part of my greyhound experience to to rear a puppy and kind of put my own stamp on on him or her. And then another common reason I get is I want I want to have the dog longer, you know, because. Uh, yeah. Uh, if if they maybe they just had one that passed away at nine or ten, that's atypical. But still, you know, if you get them at four or five, then you're going to have them for less time than you'd have a, a puppy. So I get that. I, I I want a dog that I can you know watch grow up and and have for just simply more years. So uh, well, and there is the the span neuter issue that they don't get the choice of how they spay and neuter their yes. dogs. Um, right. And I know many people fight us on this, but I am a firm believer that um, ovaries and testes are part of the endocrine system. And when you take them out, it causes an upset that lends itself to, although those cancers are probably genetically linked, 
something turns those genes on in some animals and not in others. So, and we see such a huge proportion of spayed and neutered um, greyhounds succumbing to these, to osteosarcoma mainly, um, and we just don't see that kind of number in dogs that aren't spayed and neutered. So something, yeah. there's something about the damage to the endocrine system <clears throat> that's done by total castration or total hysterectomy in the female that's doing that. So giving, and I know you've had this experience yourself, and, and I get called by people who say that they've lost their last three dogs to it. So they don't want to, to they want to do whatever they can to lower their chances of, um, having to go through that with the next dog. And so that is, yeah. that is often a reason I get for people getting a puppy. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm getting an increasing number of, of reasons recited like that as well. And for, for our listeners, full disclosure, Ann and I are known on, on social media as being <laughs> proponents of either, either leaving your greyhounds intact or using the alternative, less extreme methods of sterilization that Ann mentioned. Previously, because we've both had personal experiences where um, uh, I stopped neutering or spaying any of our greyhounds about 11 years ago, and our osteosarcoma rates just plummeted, especially in midlife, which is when it's most heartbreaking to, to lose them to that. So, right. Yeah, there's, I think there's an increasing number. They want, owners want more flexibility uh, in in what they do about sterilization, whether they leave them intact entirely or whether they they use an alternative method of uh, of sterilization, I think that's a good thing. I think responsible dog owners more and more are becoming attuned to the fact that um, you know one size doesn't fit all with respect to how you become a responsible dog owner. Well, and, so and that's, it's a good thing to mention our, that. Yeah. Because um, irresponsible dog owners, uh, responsible dog owners can keep their dogs from causing accidental litters without spaying and neutering. And if you're an irresponsible greyhound owner, probably the last thing that you're worried about is an accidental litter because an irresponsible dog owner that lets their dog wander around and get bred by the local mongrel down the street has probably lost their dog to a car accident before that ever gets a chance to happen. So, um, yeah, it's, to me, the idea that yes, spay and neuter programs across the United States has, have made a gigantic impact on the unwanted pet population. That is undeniable. But when we're looking at these small populations of owners, of different types of dogs, um, you know, your average, you can't just take this average idea that works for the whole population and say it must be done for all because there are small pockets of owners. And I believe greyhounds are one of them by necessity um, because you cannot take a chance that, you know, your dog gets out and runs out into the street because they, I mean, in seconds, a greyhound can be miles away practically. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And that knowledge is enough that, that, that it just isn't done. So that said, 
I, I, you know, I, I really think that some of this stuff needs to be rethought. Now, we do have the thing that the vets who are doing ovary spay and vasectomy surgeries are, causing, are, are charging um, enormously high fees for this. And it, it's pretty inexcusable because it takes no more time to do an ovary spay than it does to do a regular full spay. But because they're specialists and people have to go to them specially, there is a place in Denver that charges $1,800 for an ovary spay and 160 for a regular spay. And to yeah, me, that is that's just... outrageous. It is. It's horrible gouging. And, it's, and you're basically punishing a, a dog owner for wanting to do the best thing for their pet. And, um, yeah. Well, just it, the old thing is you can, find any, you can find any interest or group on the... On Facebook, and there's actually a, a, a Facebook group for people that want to pursue that form of sterilization, and it's kind of a networking of, of vets that do it. And I'm hoping that more and more vets will take it up because, as you say, it's no more technically difficult or, or lengthy of a procedure than the traditional spades or neuters are. So they should really be right. within a price range of, of what those cost. Speaking of prices, I mean, even if they charge double... You yeah, know, because yeah. they had to go get the training for it. I can understand that. Maybe you have to go to a seminar and get trained in it. But many veterinary colleges, I understand, are now teaching that. So that yeah. isn't even going to be an issue for very long. Right, right. Um, yeah. on the, on the, we, I, we've been talking about prices. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what a greyhound puppy costs. So let's talk a little bit about price ranges that you see uh, not just on your program, but other programs as well, for what puppies cost. What, tell us a little bit about that. Well, they seem to be kind of all over the place. Um, we, have to, we have to keep them fairly high just because that is our only income. We don't, since we don't race anymore, we don't have any subsidizing of anything else. And since I am retired from my original job, I have no subsidizing from my, my job either. And since I was just a cop, I, of course, didn't make enough to actually have a, a decent nest egg. So <laughs> um, we charge 1800 for our regular puppies. If we have some rare colors or something, we might charge more for those. And the reason we do that is because um, they are they basically having an occasional chocolate puppy to sell or an occasional blue puppy to sell really does kind of make get us over that hump from just kind of getting by with the regular pups. Um, mm-hmm. There are some breeders out there that charge a lot more than that. And I, and they, um, this is a little controversial. I believe that it, that they do a lot of health testing that is unnecessary in greyhounds because greyhounds don't have those issues. So to spend a lot of money health testing all your blood stock on something that you know that they're going to come out clear on and then using that as a, a way to boost your prices up to $25, $27, dollars to me is, is kind of disingenuous. It kind of goes along that same thread as that vet that charges $1,800 for a <laughs> because they had to yeah, go to a seminar once, I mean, you know? That's uh, – I always make the difference, the distinguish between clinical health testing, which is what you talked about, and health testing yeah. in the field. Me, 
you know, the coursing and racing greyhounds have been health tested their breeding stock on the track and in the field. Right. That's where you know who's got good hips, good heart, good eyes, et cetera. So I hear the, uh, I hear the squeaky uh, and the yes, close you out. Tell us, tell, us, tell us about your website and where people can go to, to to look at your puppies that you have available. Well, we are at, our website is cashelgreyhounds.net, and Better we also that. have a Facebook page. So, Cashel is C-A-S-H-E-L, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. It's, yeah, it's C-A-S-H-E-L, and then just greyhounds.net. Yep. Well, Ann, thanks for joining well, us today. I, I'm hoping for a future show we could get a, a few more hobby breeders on to, uh, to kind of have a roundtable discussion. But I think hopefully this has helped listeners that are interested yeah. in uh, having a ground puppy someday. Well, you know, I, yes, I, I, I hope think, it does. I, I think you may have helped out Kathy as well as it's understanding our Sasha, who's now four years old, that he needs to be tired every night. She needs to let him run. Hey, I'm tired after playing with Sasha every night. <laughs> <laughs> Energy is not a word Sasha and I share. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, John, you did bring up earlier about having the dog a little longer. And I know um, Kathy has mentioned that she now understands the one dog when she arrived, Harley, that I had had. He, I had had him as a puppy and now us having Sasha that there seems to be even this little more bond you get with, with the dog that you got at a younger age and then have for a longer period of time. Yeah. It's a, yeah. We lived the complete life of the greyhound when you saw it take its first breath and sadly its last breath. That, that has a special meaning. I've now lived that. And, uh, and there's something to be said for that. Exactly. And with that said, I want to wish all of our listeners a Merry Christmas, uh, all the Greyhounds. I'm sure you'll be looking out for Santa Dog's arrival. I want to thank our engineer, Aaron. Another great job you are. And to our producer, Tacey, thank you, everyone. And to everyone out there, hug the hounds of the world. Ow! Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.